Welcome along to episode two of the Global Leadership Podcast. Um, we, we are now uh, kind of, I think we would classify slightly more experienced in this than last time, but let's give it a go. Anyway. I'd call it marginal. Marginal. All right. Well, hello, I'm Anthony Price. And I'm Jonathan Bradley. And this is the Global Leadership Podcast. And um, JB is now going to press go because the feedback we did get from last time talk. Oh, Yes. We certainly can, but we're going to minimise it this time and try to get our podcast. That's what we're going to try and do. So this week we are going to, of course, answer your questions, which have been sent far and wide, actually. So we have some questions from LinkedIn. We have some questions from Twitter. We have some questions from when we travel the world. This week we record with you in a hotel room in central London. It is dark outside and pretty miserable weather, but we're going to get by. So we're going to cover your questions. And this week's theme is all around performance management in leadership. Is that a good headline, would you say? It's not catchy, but I think it'll do. Marvellous, marvellous. Anyway, what have you been up to the last few days, Mr Bradley? Uh, Well, London is where we are, and we've done two days of pretty intense... No, three days, in fact. Yeah, and a day three. Time time flies when you're having fun. Uh, So we've worked with uh, two groups so far. We've done two days with one group, and we've started uh, with another one halfway through that. And nice to be back home, actually, after a gruelling world tour. And I wanted to mention, as you were saying about the questions coming in from around the world, Singapore has uh, given us quite a few questions to consider, which I know you've got a whole load of them in front of you, which we're going to have to wade through later. Yes, absolutely. So um, we will now uh, listen to the feedback of our critics, which was generally very positive, which is, I guess, to get into the 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 deep and dirty subject of our of our theme for the week around performance management now me and mr bradley i guess come from um different positions on this but i think we have probably the same thinking in mind but let's see where this goes i guess so you you came up with a theme for this week jb so um what's your thinking well i suppose you know i mean this has been rumbling about for years and years inside organizations and uh, we were lucky enough to go out with a couple of people for dinner tonight and ask them about their most recent thoughts about their annual performance appraisal and unlike uh, a lot of people they were reasonably kind of favorable about it but there is a there is a bit of a negative kind of overtone that it's too late mm. by the end of the year uh, that it's kind of not dealing with the uncertainties and complexities with organizations these days so where does it fit in a 21st century organization and we've been kind of roughly having a conversation about this for months and months and so I thought why not have a go at it and see where we go yeah it's a good shout and Um, I am involved in performance management in the organisation that I am uh, currently having the pleasure to be employed by and it is a hot topic. Um, I don't think it is right yet and in many companies I've worked in there has been different takes on what performance management looks like. Should it be an annual objective? Should there be an annual rating? Is an annual rating linked to pay and or bonus and or other things as well? Um, And I think in some organisations there becomes such an obsession about an end of year rating, um, it can in theory impact your attrition levels. Um, In fact, 
Sometimes a performance rating can be more important than the pay rise itself because for some people having a letter of confirmation of their performance rating, they keep in what I would call a brag file. Um, but to your point, is the annual appraisal system dead? And uh, it, it's an interesting topic, which I guess we don't reveal our final positions on just yet. Otherwise, there's no reason for people to listen on. Well, so I know people uh, in L&D, for example, who actually think that the performance appraisal should not be linked in any way to compensation and benefit. And what makes them say that then? Um, because it's about uh, the performance of the individual. It's about uh, where they've come from, the review uh, against their own individual performance. Uh, rather than against uh, their peers, the conversation about compensation, benefit, and so on is a separate conversation. It's a separate thing. So they choose to separate it. Uh, other organised, another organisation think it should be absolutely joined together at the hip, mm. and, and you need to have the two things combined. Otherwise, what's the point? I've heard both vociferously argued. What's your thought? Uh, it, it's tricky because um, a company's annual performance ultimately feeds into their ability to be able to give a pay rise of some description. If a company hits its growth targets for the year, that clearly puts more money in the kitty, which can be translated into salaries. And of course, if there isn't a bonus culture, and in a lot of organisations that I talk to, Apart from sales and commercial arms, many people don't have bonuses. And some of the big monster businesses, bonuses are the major part of the mix. And therefore, I would agree with you in part that um, trying to disconnect the two is a value. But at the same time, if a company has underperformed and an annual performance rating, if it exists, is inflated to suggest that the people have performed but the business hasn't, there's clearly a disconnect in the whole process from an organisation's perspective. Um, as for having it once a year, I think 15, 20, maybe even longer, 30 years ago, businesses were able to stand still with their plans for the year. Um, I don't think there is a single organisation that I've worked with in the last decade that hasn't had a massive shift of change midway through the year. So therefore, the objectives that were set for an employee in January by May are largely irrelevant. And therefore, um, to change their objectives at mid-year, in theory, could hinder the end-of-year rating. So we've got we've got a couple of things here. One is um, should the performance appraisal uh, be linked to uh, pay, benefit, bonus, uh, or not? Uh, I think there are other factors as well, which is in organisations that are going through huge change, and and most are now. Mm. Uh, is an annual appraisal? An appropriate uh, system uh, for appraisal. I, I want to add another point as well, which is that uh, some appraisal systems uh, compare performance uh, against peers in in some sort of ranking, mm. and you, you know you get people inside organisations that have made an enormous contribution and have done an awful lot of work to get their skill will up to a certain level over a period of time. Um, to, and, and it might be that it's equivalent to their peers at that point. Mm. So should that person be recognised for that achievement to get to the same level as everybody else? 
that I've I've look at it from another angle um, to, to to illustrate some of the problems you have with performance ratings linked to a company rather than the individual, and then forced ratings or forced rankings is that I know that there have been people that have been moved parachuted into a position to help turn around the underperformance of an organisation, and they are asked to 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 have a three year turnaround plan to fix the rot that may exist somewhere. And of course, year one and two are going to be absolutely awful whilst they make that transformation. And yet, knowing that, because the performance of the company is still in a poor situation, they are in theory um, at risk of having their rating damaged as a result of it. Now, a, a wise person would negotiate terms before they come into these type of parachuted in roles. But I have had conversations time and time again with people where that hasn't been the case or what was promised versus what was reality was two different things. Both you and I have worked in organisations where the manager that we work for uh, doesn't really want to have any conversations with <laughs> us at all and actually the idea of uh, being able to postpone conversations to that one annual conversation is an absolute boon they think that's the best thing ever mm. and then you know when they get to the conversation the the appraisal I call it a conversation but I, others might call it a, a sort of systematic approach to analyzing someone's KPIs and all of that kind of business I don't know mm. um, but there's a lot of managers who I think uh, use it as an excuse to avoid having really good frequent high impact high quality conversations with their people and actually one of the points that was made this evening uh, was that is there an opportunity perhaps to combine uh, some sort of annual uh, appraisal which is deemed to be necessary but also how do you how do you fit that in with other conversations that need to take place uh, over the course of the year and how frequent are those and how do they relate to the annual appraisal and, and it's interesting, so I come from a sales background predominantly and I would argue that what you've just described is, is very much how that would work. Sales Organisations where I've worked in where they have a large population of sales or, of salespeople within that organisation, I've noticed tend to have a better performance management culture. There may be annual reviews, but they are a culmination of more frequent performance related conversations. So for example, I'm a salesperson, my annual sales quota is, let's say, two million US dollars. But of course, um, within that um, that targeting would be, let's say, it's prorated across to around about 200K uh, per month. Um, and as a result of it, each quarter, they know where I'm tracking against my end of year objective. But the line manager is clearly driving a quarterly performance target for their boss and their boss and their boss. And therefore, the performance conversations are much easier to identify downward trends and they can right size it. I think where those organizations have a heavy KPI led business, it's much more transparent. And I think it forces people to have more frequent conversations where there is less and a smaller sales population. I've noticed it being much more subjective um, and it is, to your point, a once in a year, at best conversation. And even if it does happen, 
the line manager might be a bit anxious about giving them a, a final year rating. And I have seen recently examples of where someone hasn't found out their performance rating until they got an automatic generated email telling them that they've got this pay rise because of this performance rating. So no conversation happened at all and they had no opportunity to right size their performance even if they had been performing or not performing. As it happened, they got a good rating um, so they weren't too fussed about it but the conversation never happened. From my own experience, uh, going to an annual appraisal, and HR had produced a beautiful document. I mean, it really was beautifully <laughs> created and uh, highly impressive. Uh, and you had to do a little bit of preparation before you went into the meeting. But I sat with my manager and we got it out. Uh, and I I'd put in all my information into the, into the appraisal document. And my manager actually uh, laughed hysterically uh, at at the content of what I'd put in it. Only oh God, yeah, I forgot you have to fill in those forms. Yeah, only only because we... I, I really don't want to put people off who might be listening uh, who are really excited about performance appraisals and everything. So I'm not, I'm not dissing it, I'm really not. But from my own experience, working with... Uh, you know kind of quite senior leaders doing appraisals of me it it was deemed to be a little bit of a joke when it came to me and it might be that during the year I'm probably quite gobby and actually want to have conversations about uh, my performance and the performance of others and also this is my other point I'm interested in having a conversation about the performance of my bloody manager too, not just me. So, you know, this idea that the, the appraisal is, and maybe I'm old fashioned, but you know, the, the idea was that it was a kind of downward thing. Uh, so what's wrong with it being an upward thing? And it, it, is it that now? I don't know. I mean, I haven't had one of these for a long time. So the best performance related conversation that you had in your career history in the corporate world um what was a good example what did that look like um i don't i i, ca I can't actually answer that question because <laughs> uh i think it, it all was a little bit of a joke what i valued more than anything else from the really great leaders that i worked for uh was a very good and regular uh conversation about my uh, performance and actually uh, the things that, that got me really uh, sometimes incensed uh, or, or, or maybe motivated was what about my behavior? And, you know, so my performance and my behavior were, were often raised in things like uh, a monthly or quarterly meeting. And that would be useful to me which I guess gets us into this next part of this conversation, which is about coaching mm. and mentoring and, and, and conversations where I could be supported and challenged around, you know, what I needed to be showing up doing at, at the time in real, in real time. So, you know, being, being given feedback uh, around my behavior uh, in meetings, and I'm not, you know, this isn't this isn't um, meant to be a, a sort of a negative thing about my behaviour. It, it's actually, you know, when you're when you're mentored or coached really effectively, 
uh, and certainly when you're mentored, you're going to get some really good feedback about what your manager had noticed about you in a meeting or a presentation or uh, and and you know this is what I noticed Jonathan this is what I noticed about that meeting and how well you did and even better if you had done this what do you think about that mm. and what might you want to consider uh, that you 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 you'd change with that that to me was the most motivational uh, way of getting me to be better at what I did to echo your sentiment the best experiences I had was where the to your point the end of year review which still needed to happen was a joke because we both knew entering that meeting where the meeting was going to end because the frequency of the performance conversations I had throughout the year was so frequent that there was never any doubt as to where my year was ending but I guess to your point similarly I was quite gobby and would be constantly seeking the uh, the objectives and where am I tracking because I want the four or the five rating um, and uh, equally my manager I guess focused me on achieving those objectives throughout the year uh, and it also included a development objective because they knew that they wanted to stretch me and in order to get to that stretch target in theory um, I needed to do some extra things and because I was constantly going out there going so how am I tracking against that boss tell me give me feedback um, it, it, but but I think you could argue in some businesses it's also the responsibility of the individual to challenge their manager if they're not getting frequent uh, conversations and I guess as a, as a leader listening to this podcast now I would be fascinated to, to, to read into some of the minds of the listeners as to how seriously their organisation take performance management maybe they take it seriously but maybe there's an inconsistent process um, you know I know in some organisations they probably have a very good performance management culture but there's no way of recording it um, or there's not a consistent way of recording it uh, so there's there's so much going on in the mind of our listener I imagine right now as to what good looks like um, and we were asking our colleagues over dinner and I should have asked them if we could have named them so we can't really maybe I messaged them saying can we, let's not yes yeah, so I messaged them saying can we, can we mention you on the podcast because they knew we were recording this um, but they talked about some big organisations where they had changed the way they did things um, but I guess from our perspective we, we as you say you've not been in corporate land for a while now um, in my organisation they are looking to transform the way we do annual appraisals or do they continue well, so uh, I did a, a, a lot of work with a company called UKRD Group, as you know, and uh, I don't think they would worry about me saying this. Uh, the, the idea of the uh, annual appraisal uh, was uh, not consistent, really, with their uh, approach, which uh, was more to do uh, with regular conversation, regular feedback, uh, of uh, individuals and you know th th there was an emphasis on on a coaching stroke learning culture uh, rather than giving the opportunity for managers to shove everything into a six month or an annual review it, it wasn't their style and the reason I raised that company uh, was that they were the Sunday Times best company to work for four times and yet they didn't have an appraisal system. And I, 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 I don't think it, 
it hurt them in any way, shape or form. If anything, I think they were able to have a normal um, kind of way of doing things, which was regular communication, regular feedback, uh, regular review uh, that, 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 that wasn't stored up into a six month or 12 month conversation. It was done all the time. So I, I have worked with that company, as you know, as an employee. <clears throat> um, and as a listener, playing devil's advocate here, um, knowing that company, it is littered with quality KPIs that are measured for all sides of the business on a frequent basis. So you have either a commercial arm who are generating revenue from paying customers, but you also have a product arm who are measured in their audience figures on a frequent basis. And I imagine that the behaviours were driven and decisions were made. Um, certainly when I was as a leader in that business, I was on the commercial side. Um, and I guess to your point, we did the annual targeting, um, but there wasn't an annual appraisal as such. It was, you know, their monthly targets were the monthly targets. Where I think there is some blurred lines is those indirect colleagues who weren't customer facing as in broadcasting to listeners or they weren't directly facing our customer from a revenue generation perspective, such as administration staff, um, such as finance. Um, so those back office functions. And I think maybe the, the challenges for some of our listeners is where they have a very KPI-led organization, it is easy to have those frequent conversations. Where I think um, some of our listeners are thinking possibly right now is how do they fix it if they are in a very subjective type of role or are in an organization which may have a heavy indirect workforce. 30, 40% of their population are employees that are not customer facing, but they are critical to the delivery of the customer's service. So, you know, it's how they measure that. Now I work in learning um, as you know, um, my team, I, we look at ROI very intently and probably obsessively so because of my commercial background. Um, and we look at KPIs around the quality and impact of the learning that we do via feedback surveys. And we also look at before and after effects of the training we deliver. You know, is our colleague engagement increasing or decreasing? Um, is our um, you know, if we're doing sales education, is our closing ratio improving or is our cross and upsell improving? Um, but of course, it could be argued by the sales organization, hypothetically, although they don't. Um, you know, well, actually, that wasn't down to the training. That was down to the first class uh, capabilities of our sales organization. But that's not what they say. But you, you get my point. And I, and I, and I do empathize with some leaders in organizations where they struggle to really work out how they measure their people using SMART um, for all of their positions. And for some of them, because of the role being so dictated to the right size of the business, it, it makes it very complicated for them to do things, especially in an annual appraisal system. And that's where annual appraisals don't work. Can I be controversial Always. on our podcast? Why not? Okay. So, I'll edit you out if I don't like it. No, okay. <laughs> well, so I think uh, in a lot of organ, and this is this is learning from a lot of a lot of clients that I work with, and I'm not going to mention names. It would not be fair. Um, but I think that there is a disconnect uh, from the senior exec 
team, the leadership teams, uh, from the the process uh, of appraisal of uh, individuals in the wider organisation. Uh, I I have a feeling, uh, more than a feeling actually, that it is something that is delegated to HR as an HR process, an HR system, uh, and it's a it's a bit of a tick the box thing. Uh, you know that, that that give it to HR, they will run the process, they will do it electronically or manually or whichever system they choose to to apply, uh, and then the job is done, and the, and there it is. the The performance appraisal is is delegated to HR, and it's it's quite a sort of simple, clean, out of sight kind of thing that that goes on. I would I would very much agree with you. I don't think that's controversial at all. But I would defend HR because I suspect, and this may sound controversial, many of our leaders don't truly that are, might be listening to this podcast don't understand the impact that HR actually have in partnering the organisation more so than ever before. I think 15, 20 years ago, HR were, to your point, seen as the tick in the box group of people, print contracts, do the process and so on. Uh, and uh, I have learnt, because I've become more involved in the HR area, although L&D is kind of an annex of, that it is complicated. You've got to satisfy finance because if there is a pot of money, um, you have to distribute that pot of money uh, using a framework. You have to partner the organisation and educating leaders. But I agree with you, it should be a manager process which is overseen by HR with a strategic influence. I don't think it's right that HR should own the process, just to your point, to, to farm it out so it's done. Because that's not what our employees deserve. Everybody deserves to understand how they're tracking. Annually is not acceptable, which I think is where we probably are in agreement with, I suspect. Or maybe not. I think so. And um, so we, I think where we're getting to, Ant, is that there is possibly a disconnect in organisations between the senior leadership team uh, and HR and uh, the, let, can I call it the idea of frequent quality impact uh, performance conversations uh, ongoing in the moment. Um, you know, the best feedback is done in the moment as close to uh, the point of it happening. Yeah. and. So where does where does where does leadership now move to actually take away that disconnect where you know historically the HR team is is kind of given this responsibility to create the system uh, of appraisal and off you go and do that hmm. uh, when the rest of the organization is expected to have these kind of regular possibly even daily weekly monthly conversations hopefully no more than you know monthly it's almost kind of too late how do, how does how does a, a leader now try and combine all of these things into a strategy that works inside an organization i was hoping you could answer that question <laughs> you thought it was rhetorical yeah oh. Well, so there's the. It, it's kind of there is a need then for a conversation mm -hmm. inside organisations 
That is, let's not fall into the trap of having these things disconnected. So, you know, we need to make sure that from the very top of the organisation, we have a system whereby uh, appraisals can be done, perhaps upwards and downwards, upwards and downwards, that combines behaviour and performance appraisal uh, on, on a systematic basis. I do understand the need for that. I'm not 100% convinced uh, that it's a good idea to make that an absolute link to bonus. I'm not. I'm not sure, I, and I'm. I'm not close to it. I'm ready to be persuaded. We, of course, are making assumptions that most of our leaders listening work in organisations that are significant in size enough to justify this type of thing. I guess if we could, for a second, think about a leader that might be one of five managers in a small business. Fair enough. Yeah. That that might have a different spin in it, um, because yeah. it could be the case of their business is is unsustainable, and and how does that work? Well, so I did, so that point, uh, I think, is intriguing for me, hmm. because that is a let's call it an entrepreneurial um, environment. Yeah, is that okay? Yeah. I mean, we, so we if we think about that as the entrepreneurial approach, the incubators of the world, the, yeah, of of the uh, performance management, uh, because that entrepreneurial approach will be much more hands-on, much more uh, regular, uh, and there there may be uh, a, 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 an annual appraisal or not, I don't know, but it almost turns this whole thing on its head. How come uh, size starts this process of building more process around performance manage uh, management. So if it's a smaller entity, uh, how come it's closer to the ground and and you have, you know, managers, leaders knowing about the performance of their people and probably instinctively linking pay and benefits uh, to the performance that they actually physically see and are, and are, and are responding to and they're keeping their best. Uh, in that in that entrepreneurial area, what happened to that in the bigger corporate entity? And it's it's funny because I think I put my hat on of a small business owner. I put my hat on of a manager in a large corporate environment, and I don't think there are huge dissimilarities. What, what's interesting is in some of these big corporates, they could be uh, a big corporate in its own right, but they're made up of a ton of very small entities. Um, and UKRD, typically an organisation wouldn't have, I imagine, more than 25 employees in any one of their entities. So they were a small business in a group structure. So they had the group governance there. They had a process and a function that could help facilitate a performance culture. Um, but at the same time, I think without a performance culture and a performance management process in place in these small businesses, you can very quickly get yourself into hot water. So what is that hot water? Well, I think in a small business, clearly um, they are much more vulnerable to volatility in their market conditions. And if they don't turn around quick enough, because they're small and agile, in theory they could do, 
um, it could be the difference between success and failure of that business. As a small business owner, um, myself from the past, um, all you're thinking about is making sure you can pay your people on time and having enough money in the bank. And so for me, everybody felt, you know, I, I think I empowered most people in my small business to feel part of that journey. But performance management was everywhere every day. We didn't have an annual appraisal system, but what we did have is monthly projects and tasks that were measured consistently to make sure they were being delivered. The salespeople, they were easy to KPI because they were all expected to bring in the revenue. Once those sales were made in the app development and business that I was running, the project development team were given tasks to ensure that they were onboarded in a certain period of time to remain profitable. So each app that went live had a delivery time and target within place. There were certain processes that had to be followed and they were measured on the, the accuracy on how many versions of the app before it was going live, how long it was from sold, contracted to delivered on app stores and so on. So in that environment, there was a natural culture to be performance managed with everything we did. And we were so small and, and so, and so um, tight, there wasn't any indirect staff. But I think there, there must be a tipping point in businesses where maybe there's a lag, because in small businesses now, now we're talking, I'm thinking small businesses are probably very naturally good at performance management. But then there must be this tipping point where it starts to become less important because we're at this kind of, we now have more indirect staff. We have a finance function. We have a communication function. We have some marketing people. Well, we have some L&D people. Maybe at this 150, 200 people. And then it isn't taken seriously again, maybe until you're kind of at four, 500 people. And then some group governance or company-wide people come in with some big ideas about we need to do things much more systematically. <laughs> and so, they're the guys that are driving uh, the the process orientation of the appraisal system. Mm. And now scale probably suggests that's, that that's not a bad idea, but does that very process uh, in building a process and I'm not going to say process for process sake because that would be rude mm. to our listeners. I'm not going to do that. But there, there does seem to be a, a kind of weird thing that happens here where we're going to create a process to, to, to manage performance that nobody likes inside organisations. We forget that the humble origins of our organisation when we worked around a kitchen table and we knew how we worked and we, we knew who was performing and who was behaving effectively over the course of a week, let alone an hour or a day, um, there is something lost uh, in there. And so uh, can we do utopia for a minute mm. and just, just explore the, a, a kind of utopian model that you and I might think, actually, wouldn't this be bloody great? I'd like to work in an organisation that's got this. What I've got a thought in my own mind about what that might be, but in your mind, you know, if you cast back to when you were a bit younger, um, or even to now, <laughs> you know, what what would have been a utopian idea for you? What would have worked for you? I think you're right. It's interesting this whole concept of we are we need to have a process versus actually we used to be fun and nimble and we could do things and we could turn on a sixpence and go over here. But I, I think there is this 
um, sapling organisation that then all of a sudden gets roots in, and and small business owners um, need to ultimately grow, and they either then seek investment, and therefore all of a sudden those investors demand these types of processes in place, or they exit and they're gobbled up by a big multinational organisation, and all of a sudden these people have gone from being a, a one in forty employees to a one in four thousand in, in organisation. So to answer your question around the utopia, I think it is having a capable leader or manager that I report to that knows, the has given me a clear understanding of my role, what is expected of me, and has, from the get-go, has uh, uh, had a conversation with me as to how we will have ongoing performance conversations. And my best managers that I've worked with um, were absolutely sloppy at an annual process but that's one of the reasons I like working for them because actually we had enough conversations that were in for, and these were in small organisations up to monsters um, you know 10,000 plus people um, and the utopia for me was an absolute um, trust that existed between me and my boss where um, I knew what value I could bring and I was measured constantly through the conversations we had and there was a framework in place that was relatively relaxed and informal but there was also a big piece of my behaviour my behaviour and my reputation to my customer base my customer was internal customers in the instance I'm thinking of here not a KPI externally it was actually how much value am I bringing to the business in terms of the value add and things that we had agreed what about you? Well, so... I rambled, sorry. No, I didn't think that was a ramble at all. In fact, may I give you um, some feedback on that? Of course. I, I, I don't think there was... So here's, I'm, I'm doing an, an appraisal with you now. Thank goodness. That I well, we're 37 minutes in against that. Oh, how are we tracking against that KPI? And we've not done a single well, we'll, question yet. We'll let the, we'll let the listener... Uh, I'm going to call him the listener or her the listener because I, 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 I imagine that there is only one. It just helps me to do this. Is that the wife again? Yeah. yeah. Um, my, my wife hasn't even bothered she... tuning in yet. <laughs> Too oh, busy. Mine, mine has. No, mine um, hasn't. Um, and um, actually some of my closest friends have, have actually... But hey, we're rambling. Yeah. Give him a shout out. Hey. Hey. Kirsty. Are you there? Are you listening? Steve? That's about it. That's as far as it goes. Give us five-star ratings, please. It helps other people yeah. find us. Would you mind? Yeah. I have actually anyway, asked them that. I interrupted you. Sorry. I know. You're going to so, give some feedback on my performance. I'm d- well, I, so what I'm saying is that I, I thought that was a very um, constructive way of looking at um, what you'd actually want from your manager. And I don't think it's unrealistic. I, I think it's perfectly fair. And... I'm going to throw in something that I bang on about all the time, and that is the conversation between a manager and, say, a direct report. Uh, and it's how to frame a really great conversation um, before they go into um, some sort of uh, intervention like coaching or mentoring or whatever. It is the know me, focus me, value me. And to the listeners listening, they may not have heard you say this before, and okay. it's quite exciting as a as a concept. Okay. So um, the the idea of know me, focus me, value me uh, covers off a multitude of things that are necessary for talented people to uh, feel um, the interest uh, of the organisation and the manager in them. Uh, Know me, focus me, value me is not an annual appraisal 
uh, it is not a uh, conversation that you would have every day uh, but it is a conversation that you would have on a relatively frequent basis to check in uh, with someone's needs uh, their performance and their behavior so the manager would sit down and focus in on what they need to know uh, about the individual sitting in front of them and in changing situations like most organizations we have worked with uh, you know, knowing knowing how that individual is dealing with that change is really, really important because everyone has a different response to change and uncertainty. They might put on a brave face and it might look great, but actually behind the scenes, things aren't not so, are not so great. Mm. And you've you've got to you've got to be able to create an environment where people are willing uh, to be honest uh, about. Uh, what what the manager really does need to know about right now they might be stressed out of their head um, and it might be really seriously affecting their performance so the know me that way uh, then then there's the focus me the focus me thing and so the manager needs to know how to focus themselves on what the other person needs to focus themselves on because so often there's a disconnect there. The manager doesn't know precisely how to support uh, the focus of the individual. Uh, sometimes I've noticed managers actually focusing on all the wrong things that that person actually wants to be famous for, for the performance that they're really good at. Mm. They haven't listened, they haven't seen. So this person is making widgets uh, when they actually really feel that they should be focused on managing the people who make the widgets and that would be their core strength and this is this is i've noticed this many times where managers miss miss that and then i think you know sometimes even more importantly uh is the value me part is is people need to feel that they are valued for the contribution they make for the difference they make to a team uh, to the production of something, to the making of the movie, to the making of the thing that that they're there to do. So the know me, focus me, value me uh, is a is a fabulous thing. I I would want, I would love to have a conversation uh, with you know a manager. I don't have one because I run my own company, but uh to have someone taking that interest in me on a reasonably regular basis, a check in would be fabulous now i also believe that that know me focus me should work both ways i would like to think that the direct report could appraise the manager uh, so the manager could be asking you know the, uh, hoping for the things that that direct report might want to know about them and what they need to help to, to manage them, if you know what I mean. Funny thing is, isn't it, that, that that almost links to colleague engagement surveys, but actually done as a proactive performance conversation. Yeah. Rather than waiting for a colleague engagement survey to come through. Yeah. Actually, how am I doing? If uh, how, how am I doing it? Knowing you, focusing you, valuing you. Absolutely. And, and so both ways, a really good conversation. Let's do a know me, focus me, value me conversation both ways. Stick it on a piece of paper in handwritten form uh, and do it every quarter mm. um, and then at the end of the year uh, get those sheets of paper out 
uh, or if we're worried about the environment, we have it in a phone or something, or whatever. Not made what, out of plastic. Whatever we do these days, <laughs> uh, and we just go, "How did we do? How did we do on the know me, focus me, value me's this year?" Um, and then once that's gone and done, how are we going to look uh, to the next year or the next three months? Um, maybe not even a year. Maybe maybe the the, the kind of thing is just a quarterly rolling thing. Mm. To me, that's utopia. I was giving some thought before the podcast um, started today, um, after we concluded our topic of discussion. Um, For a leader listening to this call, the sorts of things they might want to do, if A, they have no process in place in their organisation whatsoever, and they feel, what can I do as a result of listening to this podcast that I could try to move towards this utopia? Um, And or secondly, um, there is no... Uh, incentive from their management to inspire their people that report into them Um, and how can they help their people feel more engaged with them as a leader despite the fact that they themselves may not feel empowered by the management above them to do the same Um, and I gave some thoughts to the skill will matrix as a performance conversation Um, so those people listening that haven't heard of the skill will matrix um, before Um, Me and JB love um, talking about skill, Will. And I want you to imagine your people on a matrix, on on one axis, let's say that's the vertical, it's all about their skill. Their skill at the job in question. Not their skill at your job or anyone else's job. Their job as you see fit. And on the other axis, their will. Their their willingness to support you. Their willingness to be a team player. Their attitude in the workplace kind of all contributes into this will. So if you've got kind of two axes, the skill on one side and the will on the other, where do your people sit today? But actually to incentivize a performance conversation using skill will, why don't you ask them to think about where they plot themselves on there right now? And then offer your opportunity to show them where you think they are positioned right now in relationship to their role and have a simple discussion about why you've positioned them versus where they've positioned them. It may well be, by the way, you've positioned them better than they position themselves or it could be the other way around. But by having the conversation aligns what is expected as what a 10-10 looks like on a skill will, but equally... Um, actually for the individual they feel that you are knowing and focusing and valuing them by taking um, their role seriously in a matrix format now this doesn't need objectives really as long as you've got a job description and I'm very aware with lots of small business owners the job description doesn't exist because the person that also does the books happens to go and see clients and does a bit of contracting Um, so therefore if you have a job description or at least some competencies that are expected of each of your employees why not whiz out a skill will matrix google or search on whatever platform you wish for a skill will um, template i'm sure there's tons out there but it's a really simple device to have a performance conversation with your people and it is it, it i can promise you i use it even though i have a performance culture in my team and it's great because it allows you to challenge their or celebrate their competence at their role but it also and i think it links to what jb mentioned earlier allows individuals to understand the impact of their behavior and their willingness to do the role and support the business 
from the perception of themselves versus where you see them. It can be a really simple but impactful conversation and I think it sets a good foundation for moving towards this utopia. And I've not even had that much to drink tonight. I had one beer at dinner. Um, the utopia that JB um, mentions. The Catholics amongst us would love the Eupopian vision. Yes. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, we'll leave that there because it's probably controversial. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, yeah. um, I, I like what you just said, and I'll tell you why. Because to me, uh, there's a little bit of structure in, in the idea of the skill will matrix. Uh, but, but we know, don't we, that, you know, that a lot of this stuff is, is unstructured. Yes. And my learning of the most uh, transformational change inside organizations is done in an unstructured way. It is the unstructured, uh, unscripted moments where people are in a corridor and they're just having a conversation about something that is really important to them. And therefore, I want to make the point really about the structure of the skill will matrix allows for some really fantastic conversations with people in each of those areas. If you find yourself in a low skill, low will part of the skill will matrix, you know, what the hell are you doing there? Um, and how has your manager allowed you to be in that position? Where's the conversation, guys? You know, mm -hmm. what's happened? Uh, and, you know, there are probably in each part of that matrix 10 killer conversations mm. that will get you through uh, and will help you both the direct report and the manager to get yourself out of that situation and one one thing I want to just throw in before we start kind of wrapping up is how just how important uh, conversations about reputation are mm. in inside that matrix because mm the biggest motivator or one of the biggest motivators for change in an individual is to consider reputation, their reputation now and where it could be. And to get a good conversation going about, you know, where people want that to be in the future uh, is, is, is terrific. And if there is, there is good dose, and we covered trust last time we, we met, but, you know, if there's good trust going on, uh, and there's a good conversation going on in that relationship uh the the whole concept of reputation can 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 be worked on and the manager can help uh that person get to the kind of high skill high will area uh just just by working some great conversation so and i i i, I don't know i think i think we can we can pull this together as Rather than an either or, um, you know, kind of like you do an annual appraisal and that's it, or you have regular kind of performance conversations throughout the year, uh, maybe what we're talking about is combine the value of both, maybe simplify it, keep it simple. Uh, we've We've proposed the idea of an agenda like know me focus me value me uh as a as a as a as a, one of one of the ideas to to perhaps think about we, we've talked about the skill will matrix um and what that could do uh as something that you could actually even put on the back of a tablecloth 
Uh, you could do know me, focus me, value me. Should we, should we produce some tablecloths and flog them via our website? <laughs> or maybe a beer mat or something. You know, it's it's one of those conversations in a pub you could have. Mm. Uh, and these kind of informal ways of working it, uh, I know from my own experience of working uh, with with people, uh, these are these are often the transformational things that can happen. They're the transformational conversations. But I completely accept that it is a combination of formal and informal um, methods that actually make make this stuff work really effectively for the leader and 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 for the for the direct reports in the team. I think it's time for some listener questions. Ooh. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think it probably is. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's have a look. Yeah. Let's so, look at it. Let's look in your bag. Well, so we have lots of sticky notes here. This one's far too long to read, so I'm going to read that one for now. Um, what should leaders avoid doing when leading a team? And this is from a lady called Joanna. Ooh. What should leaders avoid doing avoid? when leading a team? Sitting in their office and not walking about having conversations with people. Simple answer to a simple question. My take uh, and the things they should avoid doing um, is spending their life instructing their best people to do the same thing they've instructed them to do time and time again. Because people will leave you if all you do is instruct. You need to empower, not just tell them what to do. I've seen a lot of small-time, small business leaders who think that they just need to know everything about everything and don't empower the thinking of others. So do not spend your life instructing. I, can better. I add one more to that? Of course. It, if there's an opportunity, if there's a chance, don't, don't send the email. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone yeah, or go to their office and have a conversation. Okay, so how do you motivate, and this is an anonymous one written with a beautiful handwriting, I have to say, how do you motivate high-skill, high-will workers rather than promoting them? Coach them. And I would say empower them as well as coach them. So delegate projects to them. Uh, the truth is, um, your high-skill, high-will people, um, the only promotion might be your job. And... Um, the risk is that if you've got three high-skill, high-will people in your team, two of them are going to be pissed off because they don't get the promotion if there's only one vacancy that's there. So as well as coaching them, which I'm sure we will probably have a whole uh, podcast topic on at some point, um, I would delegate and empower. So delegate projects to them so that it makes the job feel that they've got some interesting opportunity to develop. Think about what JB's talked about on performance um, earlier on, the know me, focus me, value me. You know, clearly they are a high skill, high will individual. What do we need to know about you to help you move forwards? How can we focus you better, um, you know, with your interests? Where do you want to take things in the future? The, and, and we have to be honest, you're not going to keep your best people forever. And the best, the worst thing you can do, linking to the things that leaders should avoid doing when leading a team, is trying to protect people from progressing. Don't create glass ceilings in your team that prevents people from leaving. Worse still, and I have seen this in certain sectors, is where you actually discredit them to other people to protect them for your own, you know, your own benefit. Self-interest prevails. So for me, um, as well as what JB said, um, 
empower and delegate as much stuff as possible. Allow them to experience new things because if you can keep them a year longer than you would have done otherwise, that's probably a win for you. Can I go one stage further? Always. And find out what inspires them and try and deliver on that. And and th- there's a quite a big difference to empower and do all of the other things and then to think, okay, um, you know, Sally, what what is what is the thing that would really inspire you um, and, and see how closely you can match that? And the final tip would be get them to listen to this podcast because clearly that will you know make them super inspired we've got five minutes and are we are we gonna de- be determined to get through all these i'm questions? determined right. i am determined to to get within the hour okay how do you manage people with um real reluctance to accepting advice or are fixed-minded in their ways of working <laughs> good luck well that's got to be the know me focus me value me conversation hasn't it I mean, it is, it is, uh, you know, really sitting down, being very, very honest uh, about their performance and behaviour, not being shy of challenging that behaviour, uh, being being perhaps even brutally honest about where things lie. They will, they will thank you for it in the end. I'd agree. In the interest of time, um, I'll have a first stab at the next question. Then, uh, how do you encourage leadership? within your direct reports when it is not supported by your manager themselves? Well, I, and this is an anonymous question and I hope you don't mind the answer being a bit blunt here. Um, I totally accept and empathize where you have a leader that doesn't inspire you, but that doesn't give you an excuse therefore not to consider inspiring people that report into you. It is every people's manager's responsibility to inspire and create a leadership environment for you to thrive. I accept it is not great to have a manager that doesn't lead you, but um, I think, how do you do it? Um, Well, you have a vision. Um, You give people a meaning, um, you know, and actually just because there might not be a vision from the top of your organization, create a vision that your people can understand that translates into behavior. Um, you know, I might get up each day and produce 50 pay slips. Well, the vision is actually you're helping people live. Um, without you creating these pay slips within a high level of accuracy, it means people don't get paid and they might get fined and they might have to pay tax, extra tax. Um, you know, that's not the very inspiring. But my point being is it does whatever the, um, the, the challenges are that you have with your manager, which is a different question. But to answer this question, um, you should not see... Um, the leadership from above as a barrier as to why you can't inspire and lead people beneath you. Anything to add? That's leadership. Nice. Um, that's too big a question for that one, so I'm going to leave that one for another time. And um, what three characteristics make a good leader? Vision. Mm-hmm. Articulating the gap between current reality and future vision, um, focusing on inspiring their people, making that uh, a very, very big part of their job, and understanding the need to campaign that, not just in one great big town hall communication as a one-off, it's a campaign. Vision, inspiration, campaign. Okay, 
Um, I think we will probably try and we'll keep these next questions for another time, do you think? And then you're going to honour the hour window? Uh, I, I think we must. Okay. I think it is. A, I think every time we do this, I think we have to keep it to an hour so we don't lose our listener because we've only got one and we cannot afford to lose them. Because the battery's gone flat on their phone, you mean? Possibly. <laughs> um, what are so, you up to then for the next uh, for the next few days, Mr. Bradley? Well, I've got a bit of London. Uh, got a little. Uh, wife is organising um, a little bit of uh, a night out tomorrow night. I'm hoping. Oh. Uh, we're going to stay in London. Uh, we are watching the rugby on Saturday morning at eight fifteen. Don't miss it. And then we're spending some time in London doing some exciting things why are you why are you <laughs> glad cheeky smile well because well, i don't want to say it on this podcast but Fair it's not enough. it's not it's not kinky or anything it's not weird oh okay well that's what about you and what are you going to be doing you doing um, any more tiling no no tiling this weekend we have a professional coming to finish some diy for his houses on the market um taking my oldest boy to a foot to play football on saturday at the football match and then um, on Sunday, a friend's 40th afternoon tea, which is not particularly ghetto because Sunday evening, you and me are flying out to Hungary um, for our next um, leadership workshop. So we're going to be coming uh, from uh, Budapest uh, next week. Uh, so we'll give you a little bit of a, a heads up on what things look like from the Budapest perspective. So uh, this has been Jonathan Bradley. And I've been Anthony Price. This has been the Global Leadership Podcast.